Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V Radio. Good evening to all of my listeners out there tonight um, in V Radio land, so to speak. Um, you're listening to V Radio. If this is your first time listening to V Radio, please check out my website, v or v radio.org. Uh, there you can find archives of other shows like this one, interviews with documentary filmmakers, activists, scientists, politicians, the few good ones. Uh, roundtable discussions of current events, and I try to do my V-Radio Daily News, where I take from various uh, news and happenings that's going on in the world and um, generally invite other people on to kind of have a roundtable discussion about that from the activist perspective. And tonight, my guest is Francis Causey. And Francis, you'll have to pause the show, because you have it open. And Francis, you'll have to pause the show, because you have it open. Oh, okay. Hold yeah, on. It happens. Oh. There you go. There we go. Sorry about <laughs> it's that. It's all right. I, I should have said something to you. It happens all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. <laughs> oh, Chibi made it to a live show. I don't know my listeners in the chat room, but um, in any case, uh, folks, uh, there's a lot, and this is not relevant to tonight's broadcast. Um, uh, but I am really focusing on the issue of the Spain thing. So uh, I've done a show uh, with people from Spain to talk about what's going on in Spain not long ago. This is something the mainstream media is not really giving a lot of attention to, but the protests are getting really uh, out of hand. There's like an Occupy thing going on. And mind you, the protesting isn't out of hand, but the stuff going on near it is out of hand. Uh, they're basically kind of occupying the area near the Spanish um government basically just to try to shut the government down they said they're going to stay until the government resigns so if you happen to be in spain whether you're spanish or not and as long as your spoken english is good we'd love to have you on v radio to kind of be a correspondent about what's going on there just kind of a mild announcement on that issue and um now uh once again it's time to introduce my guest to the show francis um is that how to pronounce your name yes sir in fact i'm i'm uh I was reading about Spain today, and and Heist is actually we just licensed Heist to an online broadcaster. Uh, forgive me for maybe mispronouncing this. Odyssea. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, viewers in Spain will be able to see Heist. Um, I mean, it's just tragic um, what's happening there. But this is the effect of this misguided, uh, you know, austerity, which which you know the you know the the hardline libertarians, the right, are trying to impose here in the United States. So maybe a, a bellwether of, of hopefully not things to come. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of desperation in, in Spain right now. I mean, a lot of people are hurting. Yeah, I agree. Now, um, first, Francis, uh, I mean, obviously, introduce yourself to the audience. I mean, uh, let them know who you are. Okay, well, uh, let's see. um I started my career as a journalist um, with CNN in 1987, and um, we forgive you. I, yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> Sorry, you. go I on. Left I left CNN in 2000 because I just couldn't. I, you know, we got bought out by AOL, Time Warner, and I began to see the erosion of of journalism and you know the impact of corporate news and where profits being the bottom line. And I I couldn't take it anymore by 2000. And um, so I went out and I wanted to tell stories. I wanted to tell nonfiction stories and, um, and you know, stumbled across Heist. Uh, 
in mid 2006, I was embedded in a human smuggling ring on the on the Arizona Mexico border, trying to understand um, uh, the relationship between the smuggling economy and the larger economy of what was happening in the United States. And I really intended, you know, with with the race to the bottom, with you know, the service economy, the ten dollar an hour jobs, and um, I you know, kind of decided to switch gears in mid-2006, and that's when I met my current um, business partner, co-director, co-producer, Donald Goldmacher, uh, and we, we, we really set about to understand what was happening with the U.S. economy and that the, the economy itself had really been outsourced, that there was a restructuring going on, which, which is really not admitted in uh, mainstream media. People don't understand that, that, that – there's been a fundamental restructuring. And Alan Blinder talks about it in our film. He's a former vice chairman of the Fed under a Democratic president, Bill Clinton. And he basically says, you know, we're going to lose another, uh, we're going to lose several million jobs in the next decade. In other words, anything that can be done over a broadband line, uh, which includes making films, by the way, um, right. <laughs> you know, it's going to be outsourced to India. So, um so anyway, we we made heist after many many years. Now, would you say that the the working in the the mainstream media? Because like I I think I told you this ahead of time. I I always ask a guest what the precipice moment for them was. What made them decide to become an activist? You know, could you was it one thing? I mean, was like or was it just kind of the working at CNN for a long period of time that it just finally just pushed you over the edge to becoming yeah. an activist? You know, honestly, there was a moment. Um, it was late 1999. I was I was field producing for CNN in New York, and I was I was basically coming up with story. All producers come up with story ideas, and they take them to the correspondent and the managers, and they say, you know, um, here's the story. You know, take it or leave it, kind of thing. And I was doing a story I was on in Connecticut about grandparents that were trying to get um, through no fault of their own. They had taken in their children's children and there were very hard there was a very hard right kind of argument that these people this was just another form of welfare that you know and, and this the, the facts behind this really did not support that these are people that they didn't want their children to go their grandchildren to go to strangers they wanted to get benefits to be able to help support their children and you know the the right just made this you know it was this was when this was before I think welfare, you know, Clinton reformed welfare. And so, you know, and I found myself, you know, really advocating, um, you know, for these, for these parents, for these grandparents, you know, they were just trying to do the right thing. And this politics was just being thrown into this whole process. And I, I look back on that now as a moment when I realized that, um, you know, we were in this really kind of class warfare. We were in this, um, you know, uh, these are strange times. And, you know, as a journalist, I always kind of imagine myself advocating kind of for the truth. Um, but when my editor, you know, insisted that I get this right wing kind of, you know, very uh, perfunctory um, opposition to the story, and it was a very heartfelt story. It was balanced, I felt, but but my editor wanted me to get, you know, Oh, go, you know, go get somebody from the Heritage Foundation. Go get somebody from the Cato Institute that says this is this is basically by giving grandparents a, a stipend to take care of their 
grandkids. I mean, these are people that had worked, grandparents that had worked their whole lives. And, you know, they didn't have the money to take care of their grandkids, but they were obviously much better off staying within the family. And my editor says, you know, go get, you know, go get the Heritage Foundation. I'm thinking, what does the Heritage Foundation know about this particular situation? And of course, as we, as we look at in the movie, the Heritage Foundation was one of the, was one of the first of these kind of these ideological marketing organizations that, that did the bidding of a, of a very small number of people. And they, they, they changed policy in this country, starting with Ronald Reagan, uh, you know, in the, in the late seventies, early, um, 80, 81, when he got elected, they, Reagan basically implemented these policies of mm-hmm. ideological, in this case, very libertarian, um, the free market is perfect. And of course, the people and money behind this were scions of six of the wealthiest industrial families in the country. So, um, I mean, ultimately, fast forward to what you get, Neil, and you've got, you basically got um, Washington so bought and sold that it only does the bidding of a relatively small number of people. They think the problems of the super rich are the problems of everyday people. There's a real disconnect. So that's in large part what heist is about. Well, you know, and that's actually one of the things that I have to say that uh, I really liked about your film. And uh, it really, first of all, I think the 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 problems that you you put in the film, you know, the, for people to see, uh, taking it back to the Great Depression and then the New Deal and then Reaganomics and the dismantling of the New Deal, because that's what it really feels like when you look like it. It's like a systematic destruction of the concept of the New Deal. And what I find really funny about it, well, um, actually, let me well, let me clarify one point first that I'm actually very happy with, is that um, although you guys definitely go after the free market, you don't uh, only uh, credit the Republicans with, with the problems we have. You know, for example, you pointed out that, or well, rather, one of the people you had in the film pointed out that uh, Bill Clinton and NAFTA did just as much damage to the middle class, you know, as Reaganomics did. You know that uh, that, that both sides of the aisle are contributing to this problem, and I right. think that you know that's a very strong message. And I think it also kind of points to the fact that this is not like just some uh, Democratic campaign propaganda piece, which is what people would try to accuse it of being. You know, right. just because you dared to say anything about the free market, you must be some advocate for you know for democrats and yeah, or, or a communist really <laughs> right or a communist right oh they said the word share you know they must mean yeah. gulags it's gulags yeah. and fascism yeah, yeah no i mean it's a really <laughs> good point i mean this is a as bernie sanders says in the film you know this is everybody wants bipartisanship well we finally got it i mean i mean honestly if you really look at at the decision making with, with regards to the economy as far as bailing out wall street um, what's happening to Dodd-Frank right now, it's very, very difficult to separate the Democrats from the Republicans, you know, maybe in matters of tolerance, obviously, gays in the military, um, uh, things like uh, Defense of uh, Marriage Act. I mean, Obama's come around on that issue. But but the point is, is that to get to this point, we had a history. Um, and what we do in, in Heist is, a, is a hopefully what we do and, and what we're hearing from our audiences is that it's a very um, unbiased, unvarnished look 
at just really the facts behind the last 40 years. And the reality is, is that, that we've kind of undergone a, a political coup uh, in the country, if you will. In other words, the, the, this, we, we date our film to the, to the Powell memo, which was written by a future Supreme Court Justice, Lewis Powell. And he wrote a treatise, if you will, a free market utopian treatise that says the free market is perfect. Um, you know, CEOs from the business roundtable to the Chamber of Commerce, you know, we're losing the, the PR war. Um, you have to remember in 1971, the country was, um, you know, you had the feminist movement, you had the civil rights movement. And so corporate leaders were really very, very um, frightened, if you will. They were very alarmed by what was happening and felt that they were losing the megaphone, um, you know, the PR battle. Um, and they said, and it's all written in the Powell memo. If you go to highstashthemovie.com, we have the Powell memo um, out there. It's actually, we're actually redesigning the website, which will launch in the next couple of days. But you can find um, Powell memo under resources, books and media, I think. But uh, it's also, you just Google it, it's on the Internet. But if you look at the Powell memo, it, it laid out this blueprint um, for a this political coup that I'm talking about. And that political coup involved bringing in both U.S. political parties into this idea that the market was perfect. There was Milton Friedman in the 70s with Free to Choose. There was, of course, Ayn Rand and, um, and, 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 and of course, the disciple, the, the apostle of her beliefs was, was Alan Greenspan. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, that, I, I jokingly say that Paul Ryan is, is Ayn Rand and Alan Greenspan's love child. I mean, so <laughs> fast forward to today, right? Mm -hmm. And you've got the implementation laid right out there in the Powell memo. It's, it's all right there in the Powell memo. Powell called for control of business and, and called for control of law and politics. Not a lot of people know that in 1976, his first Supreme Court decision was a case, First National Bank, uh, Boston versus Bilotti. These are the same arguments that were used in the 2006 uh, or 2000, see, I can't remember when Citizens United was recently. It's the same arguments were used um, in that case that Powell presided over with Citizens United. So, so they, they really got both parties co-opted and they did that through throwing a bunch of money at the system. In 1971, there were 175 lobbyists. By 2008, Neil, there were 33,000 lobbyists. So you have all of these lobbyists descending upon Washington, representing business groups, this idea that the free market. Powell also called for uh, putting this ideology in business schools. Alan Blinder, again, he's a, he's a Democratic uh, vice chairman of the Fed, says, you know, I'm a free marketer. All economists are free marketers. You know, <laughs> the fact that Chicago School, which really wrote, you know, the free market, uh, uh, you know, ideals and, and expanded it and implemented it, has really kind of started to to uh, bounce back on it. So um, that's how you actually. That was a point I wanted to kind of bring up was that you know one of the co-founders of the Reaganomics theory has already said that. Uh, you know that it's not working. You know, he just he just flat out says it's not working, and that's uh, the other thing that I, I would point out that I frequently have to tell free market advocates when I argue with them because 
I, I used to be one of them. So, I mean, I, I almost always know what they're going to say next. And they they refer to it as, well, you don't understand Economics 101, as if their ideology is a fundamental, one, like 101-level fundamental economic theory, even though the vast majority of even mainstream economists reject Misean, uh you know, free market ideology, uh, particularly because Mises didn't use anything resembling science to come up with his theory that they walk around talking about as if it's fact. You know, he flat out admits in some of his own writing that he just kind of made it up. You know, well, yeah, yeah, and and the, and and Robert Kuttner, who's an economist um, and he's an historian, founder of the American Prospect, he's written a great book called The Squandering of America. He puts it really beautifully in the movie. He said, you know, the free market is a myth to begin with. The free market is made up of laws. And, of course, whoever influences the lawmakers, those are the ones that are going to benefit from the laws. And that's what's happened. The free market is made up of laws, and it's a question of who those laws benefit. So this notion of, you know, that, that oh, we're going to socialism or communism. I mean, come on. We're a capitalist country. We always will be a capitalist country. I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a small business person. Um, you know, I'm was studying the market today and understanding, you know, uh, you know, where high, you know, we need to pay back people who worked on the movie and, uh, you know, we've got economic considerations. It's like I was trying to understand, like, where are the revenues coming from, where the market is, where it isn't, you know, and we're we're small potatoes. But when it comes to these huge corporations, I mean, they have pounded. I mean, look what they've done to Dodd Frank. Uh, they've watered it down to the point where where the, the banks are more dangerous than they've ever been. So that's, I mean, the free market is an illusion. Um, it, it's really about sheer kind of power. And this country has always benefited from a fairly, um, what's the best way to put it without getting, uh, you know, people all up in arms. But, I mean, the cornerstone of our democracy is, um, the fact that a majority of our people have shared in the prosperity that the country's generated. So these arguments that that the GOP and Romney bring up, and you know, they're just they're just all they're designed to do. For instance, is that with regards to the deficit, they're just designed to to really get people fired up and appeal probably to their lower. Um, I mean, we all have to, for instance, we all have to balance our checkbooks. We've got to bring in more money than we spend. Doesn't It, it works that way to some degree with the United States budget, but not really. As a, as a share of, for instance, the argument about the, the deficit, this is totally manufactured. We have some long-term issues that we have to deal with, for instance, with Social Security, with people getting older. But the way you do that is you make the Social Security tax progressive. You tax billionaires and millionaires pass $110,000. They don't pay any taxes past making $110,000. Um, you know, you reduce our, our military costs. You get, you get fraud under control. I mean, these are, these are very um, easily rectifiable uh, parts of the budget, but they want to use the deficit, um, you know, like to scare people that the, the country is, you know, going to default. More, more U.S. bonds are being bought than at any time 
in recent memory. I mean, if people really thought the United States was going to default, do you think they'd be piling into U.S. Treasury bonds? I mean, the yield has never been lower. So, so part of the reason we made heist, as a journalist, I made heist, was, you know, I, I knew factually that this stuff wasn't true, that the right was um, putting out there. And I wanted to, we both, Donald and I, wanted to really, you know, set the record straight with the facts about what was happening with the country. Yeah, and you definitely succeeded in that. And I think that it honestly did a, a better job than some other films that I've dealt with in, in just kind of explaining it and breaking it down in basic terms that anybody can understand. I mean, you don't have to be an economic guru to understand this film. You know, you don't have to have really advanced knowledge of, of the kind of nonsense that people put into it. You know, I also really like that, you know, that you gave the Occupy movement kind of a shout out in the film as an occupier myself. Um, and I'm sure many of my listeners from Occupy Detroit, um, Wall Street and Flint will, will attest to that would be good. And, um, but in any case, uh, um, I think that in addition to that, just kind of the history lesson and, and the way that it all played out, like I kind of mentioned earlier, it takes you through the timeline of events. And when you think about it, uh, actually, Bernie Sanders, I had actually considered starting this particular broadcast with one of Bernie Sanders' speeches that was one of my favorites. And, and he says that there are people here in this Senate that want to take us back to where we were at like 1932, you know, yeah. and he was referring to the fact that they want, you know, no labor unions getting in the way. They want, you know, no workers' rights, no minimum wage, you know, no nothing. You know, that that's right. what they want. And they want us to be completely under their thumb and completely under their power and not to trouble them with little things like, you know, maybe having a weekend or a day off or health care right. or any of these things. Yeah, I mean, these, yeah, these guys have been around, as Michael Lynn points out in the movie, Neil. I mean, these guys have been around since the 30s, ever since the New Deal came about. I right. mean, and they they really got traction um, with this memo. They were inspired by the memo. They rallied around it, and and they they really believe if you make five dollars, you ought to keep five dollars, you know. Mm-hmm. And they believe that it'll trickle down, and we know how it trickle down. Um, worked out, uh, I think, um, over the last, you know, during the, the Bush uh, administration and to some degree the, the Clinton administration as well. Um, it's it's a it's not an economic theory. It's it's hocus pocus, you know, uh, not real. Um, but no, these guys have been around for a long time, and they they and and many would argue, and I, I'm not. Just, so sure successfully. But the New Deal has really been the cornerstone of kind of economic security. It's always kind of provided the safety net um, as, as a counter, if you will, to the excesses of capitalism. Right. Um, right. And so uh, what they're trying to do is do away with that. And you, and you see Van Jones talking in the film about this, that Katrina was the ultimate uh, illustration of how that safety net and the ineptitude of the federal government to respond to that, to that disaster. Um, You know, and so this is, this is kind of the reality of where we are. And we really wanted to connect the dots for people in a film like inside job, um, you know, picks off a very important part and did a brilliant job of explaining the financial system and the, 
the you know the the corruption and how that whole thing works. The reason why it took us so long to make this movie is that we really wanted to tell the big picture. We wanted to tell how this had impacted the middle class. We needed to tell it like a political thriller and a crime story and understand you know what you know what happened, where we are now and and where you know which is the impact on the middle class, the devastating impact on the middle class and and where we need to go. So, you know, we do have a solution section that, you know, we we feel really, you know, proud about because we, you know, there is a solution. I mean, we've had popular movements in this country before and I think Occupy and we aligned with Occupy very early, made the film available to whatever group whomever wanted to show it. Um, you know, in the and the film today, it's available to them free of charge. We you know, we've, we we actually cut a special 22-minute version just for, you know, organizers and occupiers, which is available. Um, it's available on the DVD. We'll we'll give it to you. It's up, I think it's up on a Vimeo site, too. That'd be cool. Uh, yeah, so, so we have a history of rising up against this kind of uh, egregious oppression. And, um, I mean, nothing short of our democracy is really at stake. I, I really believe that. I agree too, and that's I think one of the other good things about your film is that like you know if I was perhaps to want to introduce somebody to activism, uh, particularly like I, I think this film in particular, for example, when I was in Occupy, I was surrounded in many cases by a lot of former conservatives, as in people who right. used to be conservatives who are not anymore because they've done everything that conservatives are told to do. I mean, those are the people that drive me nuts the most are the ones who are in the middle class that are voting for people like Romney, who's part of the group that's trying to systematically destroy the middle class. Yeah, like, they're voting against their own best interests. Right, and that's and so this film, though, would be a good film to give to someone who's just finally beginning to doubt their conservative viewpoints. You know, right. um, and because it covers everything a little bit. It covers the media, which is a really important point. I've seen people devote entire films to that. Outfoxed, Rupert Murdoch's War and Journalism, Orwell Rolls in His Grave. They're both a little dated, but it comes down to the basic premise of really educating people to that. I was watching Fox News today, not by choice, but I was yeah. just sitting in a restaurant and it was on. And I just started rolling my eyes, like, yeah. because it's just, it's Romney campaign central. There is no fair and balanced. They just spent the whole hour I was watching this slamming on, on Obama. I mean, it honestly felt like way back in the day, uh, before, like when I was a uh, libertarian, I was, you know, I helped run a Ron Paul network for right. his for his campaign. And that's what it felt like as I was watching a Romney network. You know, right. complete with the endless hit pieces on Obama. You know, and I'm not saying that Obama's like I know I've already. I always have to tell people just because I don't like Romney doesn't mean I suddenly like Obama. Yeah, I've actually been. Yeah, we're in the same. Yeah, yeah, I've been actually been very happy with the third party candidates this time around. I even don't. I even like the Libertarian. You know, Gary well, Johnson's not a bad guy. You know, I mean, if you're a conservative leaning person or a right leaning person, or even if you're not. You know, uh, Gary Johnson's a great freedom activist, and he's a candidate for the Libertarian Party. And then the Greens have Jill Stein, a very solid candidate. You know, there's also uh, Rocky Anderson. You know, there's a lot of really good third-party candidates this time yeah, around. I mean, the, the bottom line is is that we have massive corruption in our political system, 
And the powers that be that are benefiting from it, as Donna Edwards says in the movie, aren't going to go away without a fight. And with heist, I mean, you know, I'm a journalist, and so I really, really wanted to make this just a fact-based film that, that mm-hmm. not to, you know, not to take spin, you know, not and, and not to um, – uh, go there because I, I, there's so much white noise out there in the media and there's so many, you know, there's so many conversations like this that are lacking, you know, that they don't, the, people don't have substantive, com, you know, conversations about the issues that you're having here. Um, and so people just kind of discount it. But as, as Robert Crandall says, the former chairman of American Airlines says in the movie, and he's very good in the film. Um, he says, you know, what you think is more likely to be what Rupert Murdoch thinks than anything else. And there's, by the way, there's a great film made by a colleague of mine, Sue Wilson. It's called Broadcast Blues. Mm-hmm. It really goes, we go into, we, we spend about seven or eight minutes on it in the film, and we really look at media consolidation and when Clinton signed the Telecommunications Act in 1996, and we went from right. 50, 60 media companies, we went to five. And so... I lived that. I mean, that's why I ultimately left corporate news. I lived that. I saw the impact of that where there was no firewall between business, the business side of news and news. I mean, you know, we used to do these crazy things in news to cover the news and our business departments and our management would back us up because it was, you know, we had a calling, you know, we right. had, you know, um, we were doing something important. We were, we were making the process transparent and, uh, you know, and I just, I had to, I had to, I mean, the first time I saw Obama pull that, you know, card out of his pocket and, and call. Here's him. the list. You know, yep. I just, I mean, I'm, I'm not that old, but I can remember a time when, you know, if you had a credential for the White House, you could, you know, when I was on the national desk at CNN, I mean, our correspondents could ask anything mm-hmm. and it's gotten so, um, out of whack and and it's no longer journalism uh, as we know it is is dead and and people need to know that and again that's another reason we made heist to really enable them to sit down in one you know in 75 minutes and really understand what's gone wrong in the country the last um, 40 years apart from you know an investigative expose apart from you know me spinning it one way or the other Yep, absolutely. And um, and the fact that you pointed out, that was actually something I put in my notes, is that you guys pointed out that George Bush um, and Obama both have control over the media. Um, In fact, the guy that you were interviewing said that Obama does it even more than Bush did. And if anything, to me, it's I wouldn't say that's a right-left paradigm thing. I think that the White House in general has just is just slowly getting better at controlling the media. Um, you know, with yeah. whatever means, you know, that it has to do so. And, you know, so there was another point, okay, that I wanted to get into in uh, that your film talks about that it, it's odd. You know, I keep coming back to the elephant in the room analogy, but the, the unemployment issue. I, I talk mm-hmm. about this all the time with people because any politician that tells you that he's going to create jobs, you know, unless he's going to either create, you know, an infrastructure project like, you know, like FDR did, or unless he's going to make outsourcing illegal, or unless he's going to institute a tariff system, 
uh, you know, to protect local work. It's just not, it's never going to happen. You, you know, anybody that's not going to do one of those things is never going to be able to create jobs for you. And we get caught up in that. Like, you know, I, I, for example, Romney is blaming Obama, like, you know, Obama, you know, uh, demand, you know, I'm sorry, Obama promised that, you know, unemployment wouldn't go below 8% during his, you know, his time period as if he had all the control over it. That's another thing that's, you know, that, that I also generally have to point out to people is most people are ignorant even of how our government works because, you know, you could elect an independent president, but unless he's got a Congress that's not trying to get rid of him, which they both sides of the aisle certainly would try to do that to any independent president we elected, you know, they're going to just go out of their way to sabotage anything he does, you know. But in any case, you know, back to the point, uh, it was it was the it was the outsourcing issue, and I think that people. Uh, in particular, like they're they're scared to talk about it if they're activists because they don't want to be called racist or like, do you hate the Indians? Do you hate the Mexicans? Do you hate the Bangladeshians? But no, not at all. You know, they're right. being exploited. They they are victims right. of the situation. I mean, you know, our, our position on it, we we have a long outsourcing section, mm-hmm. um, and we go into NAFTA, we go into the genesis, if you will, of of how we got to this point. Um, you know, I listen. I'm a realist, a real re, realist, mm-hmm. in that capital flows to the highest turn, right? Return, right? So, mm-hmm. so if you are allowed to, as a as a U.S. corporation, ex, you know, outsource jobs, um, then then that's going to happen. I mean, we have Lou Mass, a former uh, Sterling Winthrop drug company executive, who was actually one of the first executives to really outsource a lot of jobs. Um, he he created the model, if you will. Um, you know they're gonna they're gonna do that. They they have no allegiance to the country. I mean their allegiance is to their shareholders. I mean their allegiance really is to their board of directors, who who put them in power, who give them their compensation. I mean even shareholders are getting screwed in our in our kind of current system, as we know. If you if you have a four hundred one k or what's left of one. Um, you understand the vagaries and the you know how those how that thing works, um, but but so they're gonna, so corporations are going to go to the highest return. But but our point in heist is if you benefit from being a U.S. corporation, for instance, GE, mm-hmm. uh, you got bailed out to the tune of 140 billion dollars. Shouldn't the U.S. Congress put some demands that you keep some jobs here? Or you know, make some demands of these U.S. corporations. I mean, they've just been thanks to the Powell memo and the implementation of it, and the and the fanatical adherence to the to the principles in it. You know, these guys do say whatever they want. I mean, it's why Jamie Dimon, you know, speaks the way he does. The you know the the J.P. Morgan um, CEO. You know, they they talk with with no threat of any kind of. Um, uh, you know, any kind of uh, legal action taken against them because they've so lobbied and they've so gotten the laws in their favor that, that no one dares speak around them. And, and you know, Jennifer War- or um, Elizabeth Warren said it the other day. She said, you know, you'd think these guys would be a little bit humble, but they're, they're tracing through the halls of Congress, you know, hubristic and arrogant as ever, making demands. Um, so there's no teeth. There's no political will 
because all the politicians are kind of benefiting from the corporate money and it take you know each candidate's going to spend a billion dollars this year i mean i you know i if you would have told me 10 years ago or 20 years ago it was going to take a billion dollars to get elected president i would have said you were crazy um so we made heights so people could understand that kind of the 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 ridiculousness of of where we are right now compared for instance to the 60s and the 70s when the country was doing quite well, everyone was benefiting. Um, but that wasn't good enough. You know, that wasn't, you know, if your bottom line is money and you see people and, you know, as a, as a, as a line item, you know, in your budget, then you're going to outsource. And so when we put the tape that you talked about in your notes, that when we put the tape of the, the law firm coaching human resources professionals from major corporations on how not to hire Americans, this is actually very commonplace. And, 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 and I think you're absolutely right, Neil, when Paul Craig Roberts in the film says the former, I mean, he's the founder, co-founder of Reaganomics, he was vice chairman of the, of the treasury under, under Reagan, says that, you know, we have created an economy that is impoverishing its workers. Right. We no longer have these social ladders. We, for the most part, we have these $10 an hour service um, jobs that, that don't pay a livable wage. Um, and so, when, again, when Republicans, you know, GOP touts that the fact that, you know, 47% of people are on the dole, if you will. Well, the reality is 47, that 47% of people make up a lot of different veterans, retired people, some people, uh, poorer people, but but they don't pay enough to pay taxes. People don't realize barely 4 million families get TAMP, which is Temporary Assistance to Needy Families. That is a cash stipend, a monthly cash stipend. Um, you know, they might be on a Medicaid, but they're on it because, they, you know, they, they have no choice but to be on it. That the jobs aren't paying, the good paying jobs um, have been outsourced. And then we have no public commitment to education. Um, you know, and so people are, um, you know, there's just, there needs to be public support for education. Everything that that is happening since Powell has really been designed to privatize all aspects of American life for profit. And as Robert Crandall says, a man who, who made millions, you know, managing, uh, you know, American Airlines, very, very much the capitalist, right. uh, you know, says, um, this is not civilization. You know, there needs to be public commitment um, in certain areas of American life, transportation, education, health care. You know, the thing about that, you know, and it, it, that's actually another really good thing about your film is that you did talk to a couple of people that, you know, are technically from the Occupy perspective, one percenters. You know, these are people who, who understand what it's like to be on the top. So it's not like you just grabbed a bunch of liberal pundits to, to be your talking heads. You talk to some people who've actually been in the thick of it. They understand how the system works. And even they recognize that it's becoming cannibalistic. It's cannibalistic. I mean, it's like there was a picture that I put on Facebook recently that somebody had shared with me. And it's a little like political cartoon where you see this guy standing in front of this huge vault of money 
um, you know, and he's an obvious one percenter in a business suit, and there are all these guys who are walking up, you know, that are unemployed, and he's like, well, yeah, we'll start hiring people when you guys find money to buy stuff, you know, because they can't hire anyone because nobody has any money to buy stuff. You know, it is it is self-defeating. It is self-destructive, um, you know, for them to continue this. I mean, it, you see it here in Michigan uh, quite a bit. I and mean, as Michael Moore told us when he visited Occupy Flint, you know, you guys are ground zero for the, you know, for the uh, economic crisis. And you watch it as the town slowly dies. And certain parts of it are literally just like, you know, like a corpse of a city. And the, the way that it happens here in Detroit is basically, you know, that as the auto jobs are either automated or sent overseas, uh, you know, then everybody moves into the service sector, like they're selling stuff. The problem is, is that stores and restaurants that sell stuff are only going to do so if they're making money. If nobody has any money, well, then they can't afford to hire anyone. And in fact, because downsizing is the trend, um, even if you can afford to hire people, because it, because it maximizes profits. I mean, it's, uh, I used to work a lot of fast food, and, and they would intentionally uh, put half as many people on the floor that even as their own uh, even against their own policies so that they could raise their profit margin you know and that's and then they just the policy is let's just scream at everyone until um, productivity improves <laughs> really it really goes to trade policy mm-hmm. um, it really goes i mean it, 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 they want to make it complicated, but it's really not. Okay, Mm -hmm. super wealthy people. Here's a kind of a 101 uh, that I learned from my Wall Street sources. Um, Super wealthy people really want the dollar to be very high because that increases the value of their investments, of their wealth, right? It's their bargaining power. It's their, it's their, you know, it's the way they do business is through the is through the U.S. dollar through purchasing investments. So, but but when our dollar is really high, it means what we make in the United States, auto parts, etc., uh, are more expensive for China to buy or Thailand or Vietnam to buy, right? Mm-hmm. So, so what we need to do more of is is kind of lower the value of the dollar, which is exactly what what the Chinese have done, right? If we low if if the if the dollar is allowed to kind of you know, go where it should be, right? Not artifact, you know, artificially prop it up, which I think is what the Fed does. Um, then, then our exports will be more affordable, and more people will buy more of our products, and more of our people will be put to work making those products in good union-paying jobs that will pay them a decent wage plus benefits and afford them a decent retirement. It's not rocket science, okay? But if you're a CEO and you're, you know, you're pandering to Wall Street every quarter trying to keep your stock prices up, then you have an entree for a guy like Romney, right? Who who made his living from going into, say, an auto parts company. I don't, you know, I don't know. He doesn't own an auto parts country, to my knowledge, in company in, in Detroit. But, but a similar, he would go in and say, oh, wait a minute, you know. He would put on his Gordon Gecko, you know, suit and say, slick back his hair and say, you know, wait a second, this company isn't performing at the level it should be. So what he does is he colludes with upper management who stands to gain a lot from a takeover, right? They get paid. How do they fund it? They fund it by laying off 
people in the company. That's how they pay the investment bankers to do the deal. They generally what they do is they will they will they will lower they will low um, uh, excuse me they will raise the price of the stock so they get they get uh, more in, you know they get more interest in the um, stock and and all of this is designed to put money in their pockets and then those jobs end up getting that factory end up ends up getting shuttered anyway down the road so so this was this all started really in the you know, in the early 80s with the LBOs, the mergers and acquisitions, this was the rise of, of these investment banking firms. So we have gotten to the point where we have an economy that really about 25% of the, of the profits of our economy stem from financial services. In other words, taking money from one area and transferring it to the 1% or the, really the 0.1 or 0.2 of 1% in these financial transactions. They're not creating anything. They are not, they're actually putting people out of work. Um, and, and all of this, you know, if, if you follow, you know, capitalism, I mean, this is what these guys say they do. You know, I'm here to make money. It's going to make the market, you know, better. It's going to make it stronger. You know, uh, that's, I can understand that to some degree. I come from a background of capitalists, right? I can understand that, the, the, the capital class, if you will. But what is so corrupt and what is what the American people need to know, whether you are a Tea Partier, whether you are a progressive Democrat, a Democrat, a Republican, good old run-of-the-mill Republican, you know, fiscal Republican, conservative, socially, whatever, what you need to know is this is – is the Congress, our political system, was built to prevent this kind of excess. And they understood that in 1971. Powell understood that in the memo. And he wrote about it. And he said, this is how we can, this is how we can take this back. That, you know, this is a country of, you know, our destiny is, you know, the greatest country the world's ever produced, the biggest economy, no doubt, all of that. But, um, this is what's been implemented and people across all political spectrums. If you, you know, if you are, I, I really encourage you to see heist and, and if you're a Democrat or libertarian or whatever, tell it to someone who's on the opposite side of you, because this is really a, a film about um, a timeless film about this age old battle between, you know, public and private um partnership and how the country has worked in the past and it is so off the rails right now and and I don't think people are really people don't really understand that Neil because they listen for the most part to mainstream media and and that is mm-hmm. not a good source for information well, that's when I was watching that's why I was bringing out my point of watching Fox News today you know I just it's it's funny the way that uh things like that work you know is that uh, there are people who watch that, and it's because we're. I've noticed this is also true, not just unfortunately of mainstream media. It's also true even of the blogosphere. Like there are people who read a blog and they assume, well, this person wrote a blog, it must be true. You know, they do the same thing about, yeah. uh, you know, the, about mainstream news. We are conditioned from a time period when you could trust, or at least believed you could trust, mainstream news. And and it was definitely more trustworthy before. But as soon as the the fairness doctrine was removed, 
yeah. you know, then it's just, and your your film covers that. You know, that's why I said that, you know, your film kind of takes you on a journey, but it covers a lot of the fundamental core foundational issues of why we're in the situation that we're in here in the United States. And it's not that different, actually. I mean, a lot of these other countries, even in Europe, have gone through very similar processes of fighting back and forth between free market um, you know, extremism to, you know, to different levels of what would be called socialism erroneously by conservatives, uh, you know, but it, it basically, you know, it covers all of the bases and it does so in a way that's believable and understandable and is not extreme and is not dramatic, you know, like you're not using any creepy music, you're not appealing to emotion, it, it, you know, but at the same time, it's also it's still entertaining enough. You know, you don't it doesn't make you bored. You know, it's a good combination of a lot of things, and that's why, like when I said earlier, you know, if I was to just kind of try to introduce someone, you know, I would definitely start with your film because it does cover a little bit on everything, and then by the time you're finished, it makes you more interested, you know, in watching or checking out more information about the topic. So, you know, I would definitely recommend it also to other people who perhaps have people that they care about that don't understand their activism um, and that they would like to be able to share it with them. You know, that, you know, if it, because it's because of the way that it handles it uh, moderately. And I don't want to say that it doesn't ask difficult questions because it does, but the approach that it takes uh, is, is in such a way that it's not extreme. I mean, like a lot of Michael Moore's documentaries, for example, they're in your face, like one inch away from your nose and and that can work for some people, but it also turns off a lot of people, you know, uh, and to the point that there are people who just, oh, Michael Moore did it. I'm not even going to pay attention. You know, um, yeah. it, he's gotten a reputation for it. I mean, the, the, the shock doctrine concept of like, I'm just going to be a shock jock works really great and getting you some attention, but eventually it starts to work against you and it brings negative attention towards your ideas, which is like the opposite of what you want. And, you know, so my hat is definitely off to you. Um, go ahead and make your comment before I continue. Yeah, no, we just, you know, we wanted to make it fair. We wanted to be balanced. And, you know, October 2nd, um, if you aren't able to go to highstashthemovie.com and get a DVD, um, and you can license the DVD to show it to large groups. I mean, it's very affordable. It's a sliding scale kind of thing. But the film is going to premiere to, to hopefully – you know, what you're, the great things you're saying about the movie, which I really appreciate, you, you, you obviously really got it, which is very gratifying. Um, the film is going to be available for free. I mean, it's basically going to play starting October 2nd. It's going to be on Link TV um, for really about two weeks. It's part of their pledge drive, so it'll run several times in that two-week period. But, but it, Heist will have its television premiere um, Tuesday, October 2nd, 8 p.m. Pacific on Link. And Link is primarily some terrestrial cable, but it's, it's, primarily, on, um, uh, it's primarily on satellite, DISH, and DirecTV. If you can't um, get to it then, um, if you go to snagfilms.com, same night, uh, October 2nd, uh, we'll have our digital Internet premiere um, which it's going to be great. It's going to be um, there's going to be a, they're going to broadcast out of DC TV in Lower Manhattan the film via vis-a-vis the internet. Snag will if you go to snagfilms.com it'll tell you all about it. But we're part of a, a movies you need to watch before you vote, um, and 
it's going to, David K. Johnson's going to be in the studio in, in New York. He's, he's brilliant in the film. He's the, the former New York Times uh, beat reporter. Um, he did the tax beat for the New York Times. He won a Pulitzer. Um, he's in the film, and he's going to be answering questions. And then Donald and I will be taking questions um, over the phone line. We, it, they're doing it because of the tech, that's new technology. They're, they're streaming it on the Internet. And they're streaming the studio event, so we're going to be um, calling in. But, but you know, hopefully, folks that they can get, you know, those are free screenings. Um, and you can always go to our website. The DVDs are available at um, heist-themovie.com. That's excellent. Now, uh, my next question is: Any future plans for like what's your next uh, big uh, project? Are you thinking about making another film? Wow, you know, um, it, it, <laughs> I, Heist is still, you know, just getting out there. And so I think we really want to spend a, lo- a lot of time um, working on, um, you know, getting the film out there. Um, I, you know, I've always got some ideas for sure. Uh, you know, I wonder what the, you know, this, this issue of, you know, kind of saving the planet and yet, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. So, so we want people to, you know, like for instance, when we buy a lot of consumer goods, you alluded to this earlier. You know, it, it makes the standard of living in China and Thailand and Vietnam go up. You know, but we're killing the, you know, we're killing the planet in the process of this. So, you know, how do we, you know, next subject might be, you know, how do we, you know, how do we stem demand and, and not emit so much fossil fuel and destroy the planet, but by the same by the same token, you know, every every member of our world, you know, has a has the right to have a, you know, food in their mouth, a roof over their head and, you know, health care and these kind of things. I've thought about that. I'm actually there's an interesting um story I, I told you about earlier. Um there's a copper mine here in Arizona, a proposed copper mine, and it's a perfect offshoot of the themes that we raise in Heist. You know, these guys are taking advantage of a law that was that was signed in 1872 to come in, and they're a speculative junior mining company, Augusta Resource, and they're coming in and they're going to level a mountaintop because this law signed in 1872 by Ulysses S. Grant gives them the right to do it. <laughs> they're not even a real company. I mean, they're they're so diluted, they're so leveraged, and they're really, you know, just pulling a big fast one on the local population here. So it's again, it's that lobbying, it's that corruption, it's that corporate kind of takeover, you know, the corporate makeover of the government. So I might do that. I might do that. You never know what what might happen. No, for sure. Well, I look forward to it, and you know, be, you know, keep me in the loop, Francis. If you have anything else coming up. You know, by all means, I'd love to have you come on V Radio and talk about it. So, uh, it's definitely been great having you on today, and I hope that we can hear more from you in the future. Maybe you could come on and be a panelist in one of my uh, roundtable discussions on current events at some point. It'd be good for people to have an opportunity to hear more from you. Now, you gave out the uh, the URL once, but could you do that again? You give out the URL for where people can check out your film, or at least you know get see the trailer and get the information. Sure, sure. It's um, heist dash themovie.com and um, it's it's pretty much all right there um, whatever you need and um, 
you know, there's there's areas there's a way you can contact us. We're on um, we we tweet at um, pound heist doc, um, and our Facebook page. If if your if your listeners uh, could do it, we'd appreciate it if they go to our Facebook page, which is heist who stole the American dream. Like our Facebook page. If you if you are able to watch the movie, you know, please go and you know, give your review. I mean, we want the people to review the film uh, kind of much like you have. And, I, you know, I really appreciate this format and the, you know, that you've created and the depth and the, uh, you know, the ability to really have the time to examine, you know, these really important issues in a, in a fundamental way. So I really applaud you for building your listenership and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really thrilled it's going all over the world because we've got a lot of fans. The film just played um, in Norway. Uh, I'm sorry, I think Finland. We've sold the film to 10 or 15 different countries, and they're signing up every day. So Heist is uh, going across the world. So we want to hear from everybody. Excellent, excellent. Well, uh, I want to thank you again for being on tonight, and I'd like to talk to you a little bit off the air after the broadcast if you have, the mo- have a moment to do so. Um, in the meantime, folks, uh, if this is your first time tuning in to V Radio, please check out my website, v-radio.org, where you hear a lot more good conversations like this one with other filmmakers, uh, activists, uh, politicians, just different people who are involved with making this world a better place. So I'm going to leave you guys with some parting words from Jacques Fresco and Roxanne Meadows. This is Roxanne Meadows. And this is Jacques Fresco. And you're listening to V Radio.